reading comes from Psalm 13, which is on page 541 on your pew Bibles that are around the room. Again, that's Psalm 13, beginning at verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I said a few moments ago with Tim, it's a real pleasure to be with you at Hope Church this morning. And um, last time I was here, you weren't here. You're in a different place. So great to see your new location and see how well you've fallen on your feet. And uh, I must say that even though it's, it's um, well, it's a morning out there, isn't it? Uh, I found the place really easily. It was so well signposted. It's warm in here. Um, and so it's great to see that you guys who still, I know, haven't yet got your own place to call home. So there's a sense that you're still in the wilderness. But it's great to see the way that you're not just surviving but thriving through this. And um, uh, it gives me great encouragement. Well, let's pray and then we'll think on this uh, psalm that was just read to us. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's fairly cold and wet uh, outside, which I think as Tim alluded to at the beginning of our time together this morning is, is appropriate really when we think of about a psalm with this kind of tone. And it may be a tone that's quite unfamiliar to some of us this morning. We, we've come with great rejoicing and thankfulness in our hearts and we're thrilled at who you are and um, what you've done for us. But it may also be a tone that's quite true to some of us. And even if it's not our experience at the moment, the reality of this fallen world is it will be at some stage. And so I pray that as we turn to these words on the, the psalmist's lips, and as we uh, think about what they proclaim and what they reveal to us and how they might shape our thoughts and thinking, I pray that you would work in us by your spirit. Strengthen us where we need it. Challenge us where we need it. Comfort us where we need it, so that we might love you even more deeply and serve you more wholeheartedly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said uh, in the interview, I, I do think that uh, one of the difficulties for us as Christians is that when we go through difficult times, we sometimes think there must be something wrong with us and that other Christians don't go through it. And uh, that's why I love the Psalms, because there will be times in each of our Christian lives when we turn to the Psalms and we read a Psalm and we think, oh, I'm not the only one. There is someone else who's gone through this, who's felt this before, who's wrestled in this way before. The Psalms remind us we're not alone because we see others wrestling with doubts or questions uh, or life. And our experience should tell us that, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was a, a Baptist minister in England in the 19th century, uh, called sometimes the Prince of Preachers. That's a nickname you'd like, isn't it? The Prince of Preachers. It's estimated that in his lifetime he preached to over 10 million people. That's not downloads on a sermon link online. That's 10 million people in front of him as he preached the scriptures. 
But what's not always known about Charles Spurgeon is that from the age of 24 onwards, he suffered from a debilitating depression. He described his own depression in these words. My spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. He spoke of this, what he called this causeless depression. And he wrote of it because life in this fallen world is hard. Sorrow, sadness, brokenness, despair uh, is the experience of all people on this planet at some stage. And those things are not uh, a respecter of age or gender or race or religion. And Christians are not exempt from these things. Fallen world, fallen people equals this will be our experience at some stages. And sometimes we think, uh, well, others don't go through it in the same way. It's just me, and therefore there must be something wrong with my relationship with God. Even I, either I don't love him enough, or perhaps he doesn't love as I thought he should or expected. Uh, but that's not the case. And we should know that others go through it. You see it in the scriptures. I, I preached to the clergy at the clergy conference this uh, year on Habakkuk. Habakkuk went through it. But you see all the, the people through the scriptures, and you see it in this psalm. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open today because the words of the psalm are so important and I'm going to keep pointing you to them. So keep Psalm 13 open. But before you even get to verse 1, we see that the author of the psalm might surprise us. It's King David. Who's David? David in the Old Testament is one of the most significant figures in, in the scriptures. He's described repeatedly as having a heart fully devoted to God. He was God's choice of king for his people, the most important of the kings of God's people until his descendant, Jesus, once came. God made David incredible promises and blessed him amazingly, and yet this special man of God struggled at periods in his life. Look again at the first couple of verses. The first four words is the key phrase at one level, and the, the, those four words are repeated in the first two verses in an abbreviated version, three other times. Have a look at verses 1 to 2. How long, O Lord? He's imploring, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long, O Lord? And I know that as I say that, Every single person in this room who's a Christian will have felt this at some stage in their Christian walk. If you haven't, let me tell you it's because you've only just become a Christian. Great to have you here. Jesus is good. Follow, keep following him. But you will have this at some stage in your Christian life. Some of you may be feeling this way right now. How long, O oh Lord? Going through some kind of personal turmoil. Having some huge relationship troubles facing the uncertainty that COVID has brought or whatever it may be, particular fears that you're feeling the weight of, but it leads to how long, O oh Lord? Now, Psalm 13 doesn't give many clues as to the exact specifics of what David was going through. I think verse 2 and verse 4 suggest he was facing uh, literal enemies, kind of probably uh, enemy soldiers who were after his life, but we don't know the specifics of his circumstances, but you don't really have to to understand it. Because we know the sentiment. We understand the principle of this. How low he's feeling. 
And the great thing from the psalm is, it's not just you and I that go through this, God's appointed king went through this. The one whose heart was fully devoted to God. So it's a good psalm to look at and for us to think about and consider as we go through these things or when we prepare ourselves for times in the future when we will. The, ver- the, the psalm splits up very neatly into three sections. So in verses 1 to 2, you've got uh, the pain of David described. This is where we feel his pain in verse 1 and 2. Then in verses 3 to 4, what you've really got is the prayer of David. He pleads with God. And then in verses 5 and 6, you've got uh, David praising God. So three Ps there, the pain of David, the prayer of David, and the praise of David. So we're going to look at the psalm in those three sections. So firstly, have a look at verses 1 to 2 where we see the pain. And if you're a note taker, uh, here's my, the title of my first point. Christians will encounter despair. Christians will encounter despair. Have a look at verse 1 and 2 again. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I want you to notice in those two verses, David describes struggling in three areas. The first area is he describes struggle in his relationship with God. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I want you to feel the weight of what David's saying there. David's despairing because he feels like God's forgotten him. He feels distant from God. You wouldn't have thought that of God's chosen king, would you? The one that he spoke to directly and led so closely. But David felt as though God had turned away from him. We think that only happens to us. It happened to David. He felt distant probably wondered whether God was interested or disinterested in him. And I point this out because, again, sometimes we, when we go through these struggles, we think, well, I'm the only one, and then we feel extra guilty, and it's an extra burden. David felt this. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? It's very powerful, the words, the sentiment, the truth expressed in this psalm. But as well as suffering spiritually, In terms of his relationship with God, he's suffering personally. Verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Here's his personal turmoil. And again, I I love the language of this psalm. I love the language of the the scriptures because these things are so true to you and I. They're so relatable. This is why the word of God is so powerful. He wrestles with his thoughts. Do you ever wrestle with your thoughts? Thoughts can cause such pain and difficulty. So hard to switch your brain off sometimes. You ever had those nights where you just can't turn it off because it's going around and around and around and you can't escape your thoughts? We wrestle with our thoughts in so many different ways. I'll tell you one of the ways I wrestle with my thoughts. When I've had a situation where an injustice has occurred or something like that, I'll go away and it just goes over and over and over again in my mind. And um, I'll replay it over and over again in my mind. I've lost lots of arguments in my life, but I've never lost the replay in my mind later on because I come up with a great line, great zinger. It's 14 days too late. I can't ring them back up and tell them it, but that you've wrestled with it all that time. The battle with inappropriate thinking 
finding thoughts which we kind of know instinctively are crazy, but we can't get away from them, wrestling with our thoughts. That's what David's describing here. But it's not just the thoughts in his mind, it's the sorrow in his heart. Those things that we've gone through, which are like a dagger in the heart, and we can't, we can't get away from it. The pain is so real and visceral. And often those two things work together. The thing that's caused us pain in our heart, we wrestle with it in our thoughts. Well, God, why have you allowed this? And, and the two are recursive and spiral us deeper and deeper. So David, you see here, he, he's, he's got a problem in his relationship with God. He's got a problem in terms of his inner being. But it's not just those two. Third way he despairs is in his relationship to other people. He speaks about his enemies here. End of verse 2. How long will my enemies triumph over me? Now David had literal enemies, armies out to get him and to kill him. Most of us don't. And you can think, well, I don't have to really worry about that one at least, David. But the principle is the same. I think the principle here is the same principle that you see in Psalm 73, where the psalmist, if you remember, looks out at other people. He looks out at people that aren't Christians, and he sees them having a great life. People that don't care about God, people who are not trying to live for God, and they're succeeding, they're winning in life. And then he looks at his own life, and he's trying to live for God faithfully, and he's struggling and suffering. And he says, my foot had nearly slipped, do you remember in verse 73? Well, that's the same principle that David's talking about here. And then suddenly, we can understand this. We've all felt this tension, this difficulty. And so can you feel David's despair in these first two verses? How long, O oh Lord? I feel like we're distant. How long will I have this inner turmoil? How long will I look out and see everyone else kind of winning in life and feel even worse? How long? The whole breadth of David's life is here. His relationship with God, his view of himself, and the way he sees other people, all causing him deep despair. Ring any bells? Of course it does. Some of you, as I said before this morning, will be not just thinking, oh yeah, I remember that. You'll be in the midst of that. It's what happens. It's exactly what David's feeling. There are so many things in life at the moment which cause this. Uh, I think people are wrestling with fear in a way now that uh, I don't think we were a number of years ago. Uh, I, I see it. Um, when I went through my school life, not too long ago, but quite a long time ago, I don't think I feared anything. Uh, I think my worst experience at school was I used to get the same meal for lunch every day. That was my biggest difficulty, I think, at school. I have a daughter now who, in Christchurch, in her, she's just finished school, in her schooling career, she was in a public swimming pool when the earthquakes hit. She was under her desk in her classroom for four hours when the mosque shooting took place. And she was stopped from going to school as she went through a global pandemic. I can't look her in the eye and say she hasn't got things to fear anymore. She knows she has. And people are struggling with fears. It ends up Christians speaking like David here. But it's not just fears. It's the depressions we feel, the loneliness we go through. It's the losses we experience when we lose loved ones. It's the rejections we face, the uncertainties we can't cope with. It's the being wronged or accused falsely. It's the losing of things. There are so many factors in this life at the moment, but for the Christian, they will sometimes lead to, how long, O oh Lord? So firstly, 
Christians will encounter despair. Secondly, second thing to remember. Christians are to cry out honestly to God. That's what we're to do. Christians are to cry out honestly to God. That's what David does here. He cries out. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. O Lord, there is the, the personal name of God, Yahweh. Look on me and answer, Yahweh my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David is basically crying out in these verses, answer me, Lord, or I'll die. I can't go on. I'm at the end. Now, the words are poetic because this is a psalm and they refer to David's situation but the sentiment is similar. You and I will find ourselves in situations when we're almost at the end of our rope saying, please do something, Lord. I'm not sure I can keep going. You need to act, please, Heavenly Father, because I'm at the end of my tether. I feel close to the edge. Please do something. And I want you to know that when you get to that point, you can, and I believe should, cry out to the Lord. I know sometimes people worry sometimes whether it's inappropriate to cry out because I'm a Christian and I know God's in charge and I know I'm in his hands, so doesn't it show a lack of faith if I'm crying out, please help me? And I think there can be, for all of us, it can tip over somewhere into almost an inappropriate way of doing that. But there's nothing wrong with crying out honestly to God in the midst of difficulties. David gives us permission here. Habakkuk gives us permission here. People through the scriptures do this, and they're not portrayed as doing something inappropriate or wrong. We, 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 I sense it's something good. We'll get to someone else who does it in a moment. But in, in fact, later in Psalm 32, there's a, David writes a lovely line, which I've always liked, where he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. If he hadn't have cried out, it would have been worse for him. Friends, we need to express it to God and sometimes to each other when we're going through difficulties. So I like it that there are psalms of lament in the book of Psalms. I've said this before because I feel like it's a bit of a hobby horse of mine, so you've got to be careful of hobby horses, don't you? But remember the psalms were the songbook of the people of God. So when they got together and gathered together, they sang the psalms, and the psalms had lament. Very important, that. Sometimes in our Christian gatherings, the only songs we sing are songs of triumph and joy, and it can be very painful for a Christian who comes to church and there's not a song expressing their lament, and they can feel even more distant. What, everyone else is fine. I'm even worse. There's something wrong. It's important to express lament. If you're doing church music, include some laments in your songs. It's a good thing to do. Some of us struggle particularly in this area. I think younger people are better than older people at expressing their feelings. Uh, I think women are better than men. These are all generalisations, and I'm going to offend everyone here at different stages, but I think there are certain ethnicity groups that are better than others at expressing truthfully. Some of us are really bad at it. David did it. He expressed honestly. He cried out to the Lord honestly. And he cried out, he, he, there's a release in crying out, but it's not just any old release. A few years ago, uh, there was a, a theory in kind of mental health issues called primal scream theory. Anyone, anyone remember primal scream theory? A few people. Anyone do it? 
Don't tell me. Don't tell me whether you did it. Uh, primal screen theory was about, it, it went on about shouting, screaming things out that caused you difficulty. So if you've got something that's causing you pain or difficulty, you, you scream it out. Uh, so you express it rather than suppress it. That was the theory. In fact, the, this is a show my age, but the classic 80s song, Tears for Fears, does anyone know which song I'm about to quote? Shout. That was primal screen theory. It was literally about that. Shout, shout, let it all out. These are the things I can do without. Come on. Uh, that, you know, the, now you're all going to be having that tune in your mind. That was primal screen theory. The thought that if you shout it out, you let it all out. The problem, of course, with primal screen, there might be some good stuff to it, but the problem, of course, with primal screen, uh, primal screen theory is nothing changes objectively. You can let it all out, but the situation remains the same. If the thing that's causing you great pain and difficulty and problems is your boss at work, and on the way to work you pull over in the car and shout out the name of your boss at the top of your voice, they're still there when you get there. But friends, you and I don't do primal screaming. We cry out to the God who sits on his throne. Not just the God who sits on his throne, but the God who's your heavenly father and who knows his sheep by name. And you cry out to him. And that changes everything. Our words are not just taken away by the, blown away by the wind. He's the one who holds us in his hands and we cry out to him. The one who's in charge and who knows and loves us. Now, his ways are not our ways. We will not always understand what he's doing or what we're going through, or what he's allowing, or what he may bring through, what we're going through, or any of those sorts of things. But we're crying out to the Lord, and that makes all the difference in the world. I really don't know if I could cope in this world if I didn't know there was a God on the throne who's my Heavenly Father that I can cry out to. Because without him, you're left with no one to cry out to. That's why there's so much pain and difficulty in this world. Because for those people, crying out is just empty words. Pleading for justice is uh, pointless. There's no guarantee for anything. Our shock, our questions, our doubt, our despair, we have the privilege of being able to cry out to the Lord about it and take it to him. So firstly in this psalm, we're reminded we all as Christians will encounter despair. Secondly, we're encouraged to cry out honestly to the Lord. Finally, and very quickly, all Christians are to trust joyfully. Trust joyfully. Look at the last two verses. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he's been good to me. Now notice there's three couplets in those two verses. What I mean by that is David says he'll do three things. What are the three things he'll do? Look at the verses. He will trust, his heart will rejoice, and he'll sing to the Lord. So he will trust, he will rejoice, he will sing. And he will do those three things because of three things about God. God's unfailing love, the Lord's salvation, and because God has been good to him. So three couplets in those two verses. But I want to ask you, does anything strike you as missing in those verses? Does anything strike you as odd or out of place? It's a rhetorical question, but I hope you're asking yourself it. If nothing strikes you as odd or out of place of those last two verses, you've forgotten the last four. 
What I mean by it is there's no reason for the positivity in verse 5 and 6. David has just started off by pleading to God, how long, O Lord, I can't keep going, please do something. He's asked, begged God to answer him, but no answer has come. And yet in verse 5 and 6, he's trusting, rejoicing, and singing. What makes that change happen? There's no reason for it given in the psalm. It would make sense if there was a verse 4 and a half. If there was a verse 4 and a half which said, and God answered me and said, not for too much longer, Dave. Because if you remember, he's saying, how long, O Lord, and it's David who's asking. So if verse 4 and a half said, not for too much longer, Dave. I'm going to sort out your enemies. I'm going to sort out your difficulties. If you just keep going for a little bit longer. But no answer comes. There's no answer provided. There's no time frame given. And that's what makes the words and truth of verse 5 and 6 all the more incredible. Because in the midst of despair and crying out, David trusts in God's saving goodness. Without explanation, answer, or time frame. How can he do this? He chooses to trust. That's what he does. And it's not a choice because oh, I just thought I would. It's based on these truths about God that he knows and he's experienced. But he chooses to trust. It's a choice that he makes. One of the uh, modern laments we've got is that um, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says it. It says this truth in that song. You give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. That's the truth that's here. That's what it boils down to in the end. David makes a choice to trust God based on his unfailing love. He makes a choice to rejoice based on his knowledge of God's salvation. He makes a choice for, to sing based on David's own prior experience of God. He's inten he intentionally trusts in the midst of his difficulties. And friends, the good news that I want to encourage you and myself with today is you and I actually have far more reason to trust in the unfailing love of God and his salvation than even King David did. Because King David looked back to what? The exodus and the wilderness. You and I look back to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Something that David couldn't even have comprehended properly. In Jesus, we see the full demonstration of God's love for us. More than that, I hope you know Jesus himself knew the first two points of this psalm. He himself encountered despair. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew what it was to cry out honestly to the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew absolutely the first four verses of this psalm. But he, he knew it at the very point that he was making sure that this would end the suffering and difficulty and pain of this world for you and I eternally. He went through it on the cross for the exact reason to guarantee that our struggles will one day come to an end. We won't always be going through the experience of verses 1 to 4. So you and I can see even better than David could the unfailing love of verse 5, the salvation of verse 5, the good the Lord has done us in verse 6. 
I'd encourage you at the times when you're at your lowest and you're feeling the truth of verses 1 to 4, that's exactly the time to stop, try and clear your mind and remind yourself of the privilege of, of what you have in Jesus. That's the time when you remember the forgiveness that's yours and you don't have to worry about guilt anymore. That's the time when, although you may be wrestling with issues of identity, you remember that your primary identity is you've been adopted by God and you're now a son and daughter of him. This is the moment where you, you may be wrestling with the uncertainties of life, but you go, actually, God's told me how it ends. And although I don't know some of the, there's some question marks over the right now, I know where I'm ending up and I know what that's like and it is good news and it's mine because of Jesus. These are the times when we remind ourselves intentionally of what, who God is, what he's done for us in his son, and the difference that makes for us in our lives. And that's why you and I, along with David, can choose to trust, our hearts can choose to rejoice, and we can choose to sing to the Lord even in a world where despair is real and affects us. Spurgeon, who I spoke of at the beginning of our time together, who was... Um, this great preacher, but who also suffered with uh, uh, this terrible depression. He wrote commentaries on the uh, Psalms, and when he wrote on this Psalm, he said that David starts the Psalm sighing, but finishes the Psalm singing. And it's true. But David didn't start it sighing and finish it singing because he was kind of manic, who went from one thing to the other with no reality around it. He went from sighing to singing because he stopped and remembered who his God was and what he'd done for him. And that's what you and I can do. In the middle of despair, he cried out to the Lord, but then he clung to the Lord, knowing him to be trustworthy. There is an answer to David's question. David's question was, how long, O Lord? The answer is, not always. Not always. It will come to an end. It's been guaranteed to, to us and won for us by Jesus. We can hold on to that truth, even as we wrestle. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm of David. And we thank you for the way that not only does it represent David, not only does it represent ourselves at different times, but the way it represents our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who makes the greatest difference to this psalm. And I pray that each one of us here would know, even if we're in the midst of these trying times, the difference knowing Jesus makes and make clear to our heads and our hearts the wonderful truths that are ours because of him and all he's done for us. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen.